lot in our life, but I know that God is going to explode this whole thing because he's put in peace in place. So if you'll extend your hand today. So Father, we just pray, Father, right now that your hand would move mightily in the Broome County Jail. Lord, your hand would be upon Luann. Father, we pray your hand upon every uh, correctional officer, every inmate. Father, we just pray right now that you would fill that jail with the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. That, Father, we know that you go before us. And, Lord, in Luann's life, raise up a team. Father, raise up an army of ministers. Father, raise up people that when they see those who are broken, they'll not see them as they are. They'll see them, Jesus, through your eyes. We praise and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you. So usually um, we play the announcement slide, but uh, today I'm not going to do that so I can get into the message. But a couple of things I want to make you aware of is number one, the last Sunday of this month, we have a minute, we have a missionary couple who is coming to minister here, and um, that service is not going to be live streamed. So if you're watching us online that Sunday, it's not going to be because they are missionaries to Syria and Turkey. And they serve Live Dead through the Assemblies of God. And um, we support monthly the Assemblies of God um, through Live Dead. And they're going to be coming to minister. And, and one of the things that uh, has been organized with that is after the service, um, a potluck is being organized. So if you want to bring something, there's a sign-up sheet on the back. Please sign up. It's going to be a time to hear from them. My, my hope is when they come here to the church um, is that they would be encouraged. My, my hope, honestly, I hope to make a connection with them because someday I want to go to Syria. Someday I want to go to Turkey. Someday I want to go to Iran. Someday I want to go to North Korea. I want to step my foot into the places that are the darkest, most satanic places on the face of this earth. And if that's God's will, I pray that he would open that door because the one thing that you come to learn and realize as you walk with Jesus is how much he loves people. And the lengths that he'll go to reach people. So they're going to be coming the last Sunday in February. Um, again, sign up at the end of service. Also, if you are a man here in the church, you're a husband, you're a father, I'm going to encourage you on Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. We meet from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. And we have a men's group that meets every Sunday. And you might say, well, that's kind of early. Trust me, that hour will be well worth your time. My hope is we get to a point with the men's group that the place, the room is going to be so filled, we're going to have to move up to the sanctuary. And we're just, because again, we were talking this morning, and we were talking about the state of the country. And I said, when you look at this generation right now, I said this, this yesterday, the Lord, I was in my kitchen and I was praying, and the Lord began to speak to me about Babylon in, in chapter 5 of Daniel. He said, David, he goes, here's what America doesn't understand. They only stand because of my grace. They said, in one day, just like I destroyed Babylon, I can destroy America. And I was sharing with the guys, I said, our problem in this nation is that men, that men are failing to be the men God's called them to be. And sometimes people wonder, you know, they're like, Dave, you're kind of intense with you when you preach. And I, I had shared with the guys in the room, I said, when I preach and God gives me a word, I understand it's not only a life and death matter for people that are in the room who are listening, but anybody who's going to listen. Because God is sending out a clarion call. He wants to make this very clear to humanity. The coming of Jesus Christ is very soon. It's far closer than anybody realizes. Right now, the trumpet could sound, the bride is gone, Things can happen. If you're like, what are the signs that we're waiting for Jesus to come take back the bride? There are none. And if you ever want to know what are the signs of his return physically at the Mount of Olives when he sets his feet on the earth and establishes his kingdom for a thousand years, read Matthew 24, look at the headlines today, and they all match up. We live in a time just like in Babylon when they took the articles out of the temple 
and they were mocking the living God and they were feasting and doing things that were so anti-God and they were mocking the living God and all of a sudden a hand came and wrote on the wall. I don't know about you, if I was in the middle of somewhere and a giant hand came, I don't care how drunk you are, you'd be like, what is that? And so they're all trying to figure out how are we going to figure this out? And somebody said, there's some old guy that used to serve Nebuchadnezzar. Let's go get him. And pretty much the message Daniel gave them was, you've been weighed, you've been found wanting, and your time is done. And God is speaking to America, and I, and I believe he's speaking to the American church. And I believe more than anything, he's speaking to American pastors. He, I really believe if Jesus today came and stood in a pulpit and addressed the leadership in America and the church, he would say, stop compromising my word. Stop bowing your knee to Baal and start proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because again, we only stand as a nation because of the grace of God. That's it. The only reason that either China or Iran or Russia, has, we, we have an open border in the south. So let me tell you, if China, Russia, Iran wanted to send in their whole um, special forces and put them throughout the country. And all you got to do is give one word, and they would begin to take down cities. Don't think it's not happening. We, we are in a time in which there are, there are very, very important things that the body of Christ, again, prays diligently for this country. And so I, I, I would encourage you with everything that is within me, pray for our nation, pray for our leaders, Pray that God would have his way. And, and again, the thing that God is most concerned with, he's concerned with, with the souls of people. So pray that people would come to Christ. And uh, again, before we get started, I want to thank everyone uh, who physically, um, who, who gives financially to the church. And if you're here for the first time, there's a brown box in the back. You can put your tithes and your offerings. So if you give uh, in person, you give online, you mail it in. But all of your giving... It makes things possible. And when people, I know when people are faithful to tithe, faithful to give, God is faithful to bless and meet every need. And um, again, because of your giving and everyone who's given to this ministry, you have put us in a position that I believe that God is going to do some amazing things. And, and also an, another thing to always realize about our giving, giving is an aspect of worship. You know, sometimes people wonder, is giving really a big deal to God? And it is. It is. Giving is an extremely big deal to God because when, what you do with your money reveals your heart. So if we say to Jesus, Jesus, I love you, but we don't do anything with our finances for the kingdom of God, then there's a mixed message and there's a misunderstanding that's happening. And as I always say, you should never be guilted into giving, but you should always give with a cheerful heart. And so as a, as a pastor, I just always want to say thank you uh, to those that faithfully give, whether here in person or online. Uh, but today we're going to continue through Hebrews. And as I, I know, as I um, have uh, personally just spent time in this epistle, I just fall more and more in love with Jesus. And last night, I, as I was studying and I was finishing up for the night, I felt led to the Holy Spirit to go down to my uh, basement where right now I have my office and I have bookshelves, and I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was, was leading me to, and I'm looking for books, and I'm like, I want to read something, and then I forgot about a book I always had, and if you don't know who Andrew Murray is, talk about a man of prayer, I just, I love him. People that are men of prayer, women of prayer who write on prayer. I, lead, I read a lot of books about prayer. And Andrew Murray wrote a commentary on Hebrews. It's called The Holiest of All. And last night I forgot I had it, and I, last night I was reading through it. And I just said, man, I wish this guy were still alive because I'd love to have coffee with him. Because there's, there's just something that happens when you spend time with the Lord in prayer and then you open his word. His word just comes alive, and he just shows the depths of who he is. And I would really encourage anybody with that, when you study the word of God, don't merely pick up the word and start reading it. Spend time in prayer. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Because God is not trying to hide himself. If you're wondering why on every social media platform that the gospel is everywhere, is God is trying to get people's attention. And so today we're going to take a look at Hebrews 1, 4 through 14. And I just want to pray uh, before this because I'll never be ashamed to say that I love Jesus. And in my hope with ever, with ever preaching his word is that the thing I'm always excited about is I always get a chance to talk about my best friend, and that's Jesus. And so let us pray this morning, and then we'll, we'll take a look at God's word. So Father, right now we, just, we come into this place, and Lord, I just thank you for your presence. Lord, I know you're here. Lord, I know the angels walk among us. Lord, I know you are here, and you're moving in hearts and lives. Father, we just desire to encounter you. We don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to just have a meeting. We don't want to just do church. But we want to encounter heaven. And Father, right now as we open your word, as we open the precious word of God, speak to us. Jesus, be glorified, be magnified. May we see the beauty of all that you are, the fullness of who you are. Jesus, I pray that in this generation where oftentimes you are falsely preached about, I pray that you would reveal yourself in a mighty way. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that my, my mouth and my heart and my mind would be surrendered to you. Holy Spirit, just have your way in our midst. God, I pray again for anyone who is discouraged, anyone who feels hopeless. Jesus, today, may they find you. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today, as I said, Hebrews 1, 4 through 14, and the title of the message is The King of Angels. And if you can just show that picture, the title picture, the King of Angels. We're going to talk a little bit about angels today because there's misunderstanding about angels. Sometimes if you look at artwork and you look at it as it's become more modern, angels become either fat little people or they become feminized. And I want to say, number one, there are no female angels and the reason to understand why does Eve exist, she exists to be the counterpart to Adam. Adam needed a helper. Angels are not female. And right now, if Michael and Gabriel were to stand in this room and were to stand before you and were to reveal themselves, all of us would probably want to hit the floor. Because especially the archangel Michael who is given the responsibility as the defender of Israel, there is, I look forward to meeting him someday because I'm a very intense person. I, I ask God every day to soften me, but honestly, if I could describe myself, I'm like a quiet storm because there is a fire that rages inside of me and it rages for the living God. And I know that with the angels in heaven, they long for battle. They long to destroy the things of the enemy. And there is this relationship between the angelic host and the church. And when God's people pray, things happen. When God's people pray, Paul calls it spiritual warfare for a reason. And so I want to I read to you as we get started today. This is a prayer, and I'm going to show you how people can have a misunderstanding of things. I don't support this prayer. This is actually a prayer to the archangel Michael. But there are people that actually pray to angels and they pray to saints and they believe that they are doing God's work. And I don't want to, first of all, come off and, and somehow I am belittling people because I know many of those people love God, but because they've not been properly taught the word of God, they have a misunderstanding about God. And one of the greatest things the enemy will always do to rob God's people of what God wants to do is through confusion and deception. So this is a prayer that people actually pray to the Archangel Michael, and I want to read it to you. Because people pray this, and when they pray this, they believe things are happening, but if the Archangel Michael himself could speak to us, he would stop. Like, And here's the, here's the biggest difference between an angel and a fallen angel. 
if you are in the presence of an actual angel, and I had a conversation with a woman yesterday. Um, she was telling me about an encounter she had with an angel. Many times when angels manifest themselves, they look like human beings. Because they are, we're going to see, they're ministering spirits that come alongside God's people. And this girl, when she was 15 years old, she was living in group homes. She was thinking about suicide. She had a plan about how she was going to kill herself, and she was ready to enter life. And one night when she was 15, she woke up in the middle of the night, and at the end of her bed is a man who's standing there. And she said the man was all lit up. And she said he didn't move, he just looked at me. And he said, then as I woke up, he reached out his hand, he put his hand on my head, and as he did that, he disappeared. And she said she woke up the next day and she felt like her body was electrified. She didn't want to commit suicide anymore. And so angels, here's the difference between an angel and a demon. An angel will not accept worship, a demon will. Demons are fallen angels, and Lucifer himself, who was created by God, who was a mighty cherub, who had everything he needed to be the highest, probably the highest-ranking angel or one of them, he wanted the worship that God deserves. And that's one of the biggest differences between angels and demons, because there is only one who deserves worship, and there is only one who deserves adoration, and his name is Jesus Christ. But this is, this is a prayer people often pray, and I came across this when I worked with a guy who had this in his wallet, and he showed me it. It said, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruin of souls. Amen. Now someone who knows nothing about God would listen to that and say, man, that sounds really godly. The problem is it's a deception because when you pray to angels, it doesn't do anything because there's only one place where prayer happens, where things change, and that is to the throne of grace to God Almighty. And the only mediator between God and man is Jesus Christ. This is also why people who are in a church tradition where you need a human priest to go to God, it's also a deception because there is only one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus Christ. So the question is, why is it that people pray to angels or even pray to saints? And the answer is often due to the lack of biblical truth. Without truly studying the body of the leading of the Holy Spirit, and that's important, the only way we can understand scriptural truth is if God allows us to and if the Holy Spirit leads us to. You have many, there are even many seminary students who are incredibly dry spiritually because they're doing everything academically, and you can't understand the scriptures unless the Spirit of God illuminates it. And we can come to believe things about God that are not true. Why would the believers that the writer of Hebrews was writing to feel pressure to place Jesus and angels on the same level? And the simple answer is this, and this is why I believe churches and pastors today are bowing their knee to the woke agenda. And let me just say this, the woke agenda in this nation is satanic. It should have no place behind pulpits. It should have no place in the word of God. It should not be accepted. I, last night, was listening to a YouTube thing, and they were talking about a very prominent pastor. I'm not going to say his name, but he is well known in the country. He has a huge church. And in his single ministries, some of the people that are leading are active people in the homosexual lifestyle. Now, I want to say this because people will be like, Dave, you hate gay people. It's not true. Because whether somebody is actively in the homosexual lifestyle, whether somebody is actively addicted to drugs, whether somebody is actively involved in getting drunk, hammered, sleeping around, I don't care if they're sleeping with people of the same sex, different sex, outside of marriage, whatever, if you, are in, if you are actively engaging in sin, you should not be leading anybody. And this, this pastor pretty much, he made a statement during, and this was a conference he was speaking to pastors. And he said, he was, he was speaking to people that were in the homosexual lifestyle. And he said, you're not the ones who are getting it wrong, we are. And I sat there for a minute because in my flesh, what I want to do is not of God. 
And this is why I say God in heaven doesn't look down at the American church and says, I hope they get it figured out. He says, your time's running out. You keep compromising my word and causing my people to live in sin and wickedness. Understand there are consequences. So the reason they were feeling pressure to do this is because of comfort. As human beings, we desire to be comfortable. There is a great struggle that takes place when our comfort level is infringed on. And at the time of the writing of Hebrews, the Jewish believers who were Christians were being pressured to abandon faith in Christ alone because this inevitably will cause things to become uncomfortable in your life when you say that Jesus is God and he is the only way to heaven. All of a sudden, I personally as a pastor, and I've seen it on social media posts, I've been called a racist. I've been called a homophobe. I've, somebody sent me a, 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 a screenshot of a bunch of witches talking in the area and saying, we have a problem. That father's heart and that Dave Campbell is a problem. So I understand when you stand for Jesus and you preach the Bible as it should be preached, there's a lot of people that are not happy. And here's the truth and the reality of the world that we live in and why I believe this letter is very important is because things are becoming more anti-God and more anti-Christ every day. And inevitably, as we move through this and we move through this in our nation, there are going to be things that we are going to face as a church that we have never faced before. And so the only way that we can prepare ourselves for anything that's going to come that's going to be uncomfortable is by drawing near to Jesus and fully understanding who he is. So one of the ways they were being pressured is to simply claim that Jesus is either an angel or he is no greater than the angels. If Christ is on the same level with the angels or is an angel himself, it would protect them from persecution. It would make their lives easier. But if we are followers of Jesus, our lives must be built on biblical truth. We saw last week with that when the writer of Hebrews began his introduction, he laid out why Jesus alone is worthy to be worshipped. Because Jesus is God. Not merely the Son of God, he is God Almighty. And today we will, we, he will begin to show from five different psalms that Jesus is greater than the angels. And we must remember he is, he is originally writing to Jewish Christians. So with these psalms that he's going to use and everything that the writer of Hebrews <coughs> is being led by the Holy Spirit, there's a purpose to all of it. There is, there is a design to all of it. And oftentimes... When I think about the writer of Hebrews, what I picture is I picture a, a team in a football game at halftime. And at halftime, they're at halftime, and the score is they're getting beat up. And, there's, and I've been in these situations. I remember I was coaching a team. We were losing at halftime like 40 to nothing. And when you coach a bunch of JV football players and it's 40 to nothing, they come in the locker room, they all want to quit. And, you know, I was the head coach at that time, and I walked in the locker room. These kids all think I'm going to yell at them. And I just sat down with them, and I said, we have two choices. I said, we can lay down for these guys and just let us just keep getting beat up. And Because the kids on the other team were running their mouths, and they were saying stuff to the kids. I was, I was coaching in Binghamton, and the team that we were playing against, it was one of the more wealthier teams in the area, most of the kids on the team were white. Kids in Binghamton are all different races. They're saying stuff to the kids that are inappropriate. I got a couple of my guys, they want to fight. You know, they're like, Coach, I'm so sick and tired. I got one kid in the locker room, he's crying. And so I just, I, I sat down with all of them. I said, here's our choices. I said, you can keep getting ran over. You can keep getting beat up. You keep feeling sorry for yourself. Or I said, you can take your pads and punch somebody in the mouth. I said, what do you want to do? Because I said, I'm not going to sit here and scream at you because I said, I'm tired of watching you get beat up. And I said, the first one of you guys that figures out if you take your helmet and go smack one of those guys with it and drill them into the ground, it's going to change everything. I said, we may not win this game, but they're going to know exactly who they're playing against. 
And they all figured it out. We went out on the kickoff. One kid ran down the team. He just, load, he just literally annihilated another kid. I was like, now we're going to have some fun. And when I picture the, these people in Hebrews, I am looking at a halftime speech of a football game that Nero is in power in Rome. They feel like throwing in the towel. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, understand the one you're playing for. Understand the one who's your Lord and your Savior. Understand the one that you call God. This is not merely some angel. He's not on the same level with angels. This is the Son of God. This is God Almighty. This is the one who gave his life so we could be set free from sin. Because when we understand that, they can throw us in a coliseum with a bunch of lions and it's not going to shake us. And this is, this is the point that the Holy Spirit is trying to drive home through this writer of Hebrews. So the Jews at this time held angels in very high esteem. And we see throughout biblical history that angels many times impacted the history of God's people. But when we examine Jesus, we see that he is far greater than the angels. And the, he's the only one who is worthy to be worshipped. So today we're going to begin in Hebrews 1, 4 through 14. And this is what it says. So he became, and he is speaking about Jesus. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And, and what I want you to see, we're going to go through this today. There is a purpose in all of the words that he is using. One of the things when you study the word of God, you're going to see that every word has a purpose. Every word, God, when he is writing his word also, when God is giving his word, it is progressive revelation. God in the book of Genesis begins to reveal himself to humanity. Then throughout the Old Testament, he reveals himself more. Everything that they're doing, the Jews don't understand, but everything they're doing is pointing to Christ the Messiah. Even their feast, even everything in the temple, even the things that were in the temple, everything pointed to Jesus. Then all of a sudden, in the middle of God's word, we have the gospels. The Son of God comes onto the scene. He reveals himself as the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And then through the epistles and everything that the apostles wrote, they continue to begin to bring revelation, greater revelation of who Christ is. And then the crowning monument of the fullness of the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, is the book of Revelation because it reveals him as not only the Lamb of God, but the coming King who is coming to set his feet on the Mount of Olives and to establish his kingdom and to show that he will fulfill everything that was spoken to the nation of Israel. This is the God that we serve. So it says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits, and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment that will be changed. But you remain the same and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Or are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And one of the things we see, the writer of Hebrews, it's believed he came from a Greek background, even though he was probably a Jew himself. And he is using this um, type of moving from the lesser to the greater. He is putting two things next to each other, and he is showing which one is lesser, which one is greater. And so we're going to go through today these different psalms that he has pulled out, look at them, and see the different things that he is highlighting that shows the supremacy of Jesus Christ. So the first thing he is showing is the superiority of a name. We're going to look at the name of Jesus. And it says, starting in verse 4, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name we're looking at the Son of God. We're looking at Jesus. He has inherited superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? 
That is the name we are looking at. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. The word superior in the Greek means good, stronger, mightier, and better. It is clear that the Son of God is superior to the angels. He is known as the Son of God. There, when we become sons and daughters of God, there is only one who is known as the Son of God. And when we talk about angels, you, you, I, I said this before, Jehovah Witnesses will say Jesus is the Son of God, but they won't say he's God because they believe that Jesus before he was in his incarnation, was the archangel Michael. And that he became, and this is again deception of the enemy. So in the Bible, when we talk about angels, we, we do see that in, in, in Scripture, especially in Genesis, when it talks about the sons of God looked at the daughters of men and saw that they were appealing. And from the sexual relationship of fallen angels with women, we got the Nephilim that were mighty men of old. They were almost like demigods. When you look at Hercules in Greek mythology, he was said to be semi, you know, half God, half man. And there was a point when the fallen angels, when God created humanity in the beginning, that these fallen angels looked at these women that were appealing to them and they probably manifested themselves to look like men. They had relations with them and then these women had what we know as Nephilim, which were the giants of old. And in that, it speaks of the angels as sons of God. But we also see in scripture that we see cherubim and seraphim. Seraphim are burning ones. When Ezekiel in his prophecy sees seraphim, he sees that they are the burning ones. It looks as the holiness of God. They are on fire because of the purity and the holiness of God. But also cherubim we see, and we see in Scripture when you look at Ezekiel and you look at Isaiah, Isaiah 14, and you look at Ezekiel 28, and it talks about the fall of Satan. One of the things that says about Lucifer is that he was a mighty cherub. And when I look at the Word of God, what I probably believe happened to Lucifer is because of his beauty and his magnificence, and he was very close to the throne of God in worship, he began to look at the angels, and he began to look at God and say, why can't I be worshipped? That thought process gets you into trouble. And so we also see in Scripture there's three names of angels that were given. One is the archangel Michael. And his name means either who is like God or there is none like God. Gabriel, it means God is my strength. And as I said, Lucifer, before he fell and became what we know today as Satan or the devil, his name actually means shining one or light bearer. I believe what that points to is that Lucifer's beginning, he was actually magnificently beautiful. I believe when he walked into the room, the other angels looked at him. And you see today... His character and his nature manifested in Hollywood because everything is based on physical appearance. And it's, this, it's the same thing. When, when people in this world, there are two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of hell. When you sow to the kingdom of hell, you reap the kingdom of hell. When you sow to the kingdom of God, you, sow the, you reap the kingdom of God. And when we look at people that live for the world, live for themselves, they don't know it, but they are imprisoned to the devil and they manifest his character and his nature. And that's why people that are just immersed in sin, immersed in wickedness, can do unspeakable things. Somebody had asked me with the Super Bowl today, are we still having the prayer and worship tonight? And I said yes, and here's the reason I said yes, because this day is the highest day of human trafficking. And one of the things that I'm going to be crying out tonight is God's justice and righteousness on behalf of every child, every person who is trafficked in this nation. Because it's, again, people can do unspeakable things when their lives are given over to darkness. And as Luann was showing those pictures, every single person that's locked up, every single person who's an addict, they do things because they're lost. When I, I remember, and I had shared this story before, when I was in Norwich as a campus pastor, I was walking around the town, I was praying, I was handing out tracts, 
And these four guys were standing in front of a bar. And the Lord said to me, go talk to those guys. And I started arguing with God. I was like, I don't want to really be, I don't look like an idiot. And Jesus kept saying, just go talk to those guys. And you know, when the Holy Spirit is persistent, he wants you to do something. So I just, I simply prayed, Lord, just help me to have boldness because I know I can't do this in myself. And I walked up to the four guys. They looked at me already like I was from outer space. And I looked at them. I said, guys, I know you don't know me, but I said, Jesus loves you, and that's why I'm here. And I said, I want to know if I can give you some information on what Jesus has done for you because he changes everything. And the one guy looked at me, two, well, two of the guys looked at me, and they said, no, we're not interested. The third guy looked at me, and he put his hand out. He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Let me see. But it was the fourth guy that got my attention because I could see by the look in his eyes that he was angry. And he stepped back because I think he probably looked at my physical size because he probably thought, when I open my mouth, this guy's going to come after me. But he, in essence, he began to go up one side of me down the other, cursing, swearing, he said, he goes, you know what you should do? He goes, you should go hang yourself like Judas and play in traffic. He goes, your God is a joke. Because I don't really want you to do with your God. And he goes, you need to get out of here. And he kind of stepped back because, you know, I'm not a small guy. And I looked at him, and I, and I knew that the Lord was there because as he began to insult me, I began to feel love for him. And I looked at him when he was done, and I waited for him to stop with all of his verbal whatnot. And I looked at him. I said, listen, I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know what pain people have caused you. But Jesus loves you, man. And that's why I'm here. You may not want this, but I said, one thing I'm going to promise you is I'm going to be praying for you. And I said, the thing I'm going to pray is you come face to face with the living Christ. Because when you do, you'll never be the same. Because, see, when people are lost and they're in darkness, when people are under deception, they do lost things. When people are lost to sexual confusion and gender identity, they are not the enemy of the church. When people are living in a homosexual lifestyle or transgender or whatever it is, we're, we're never going to reach them for Jesus by simply walking up to them and saying, if you don't change your lifestyle, you're going to hell. It would do us a great deal of service to simply meet people where they're at, like Jesus did, to love them, to get to know them, and then once they get to know us, then hopefully the door is open to share with them the truth of Jesus. Because again, until somebody knows Jesus, nothing is going to change. So we see in Scripture that there are, angels are known as sons of God. We have some of the names given in Scripture. But Jesus is known as the captain of the host. And you might ask yourself, well, what host are you talking about? It's all the angels in heaven. When it speaks about God being the captain of the host, God's angelic army is an army. When it speaks about God in the Bible, I remember I was listening to a podcast between Mark Driscoll, and I can't think of the guy right now, but he, run, he, he does a ministry. He was, uh, he was, in, he was uh, in the military. He was in special operations. He was overseas. I think he was a, a ranger in the army. He didn't know Christ, and when he was overseas, he started reading the Bible. And there was many times in combat he should have died, but when he was in combat and he's reading about Jesus, he starts to read the scriptures, he sees that his life is on the line, and he starts to understand that Jesus is not only a savior, but he is also a warrior. And he began to see the warrior nature of Christ, and when he would, I, I talked to a guy one time who was in the military, and he had told me that many times when guys go into combat, they pray to the Norris gods because they see them as warring gods. They see them as powerful. They talk about, actually, they talk about Valhalla, that they're going to go and they're going to give their lives in combat. And when they look at Jesus, they, 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 they look at Jesus like he's just some lamb and he's not powerful. And Mark Driscoll made a point. It's an important one. He said, one of the things that happened to the church in America when World War II happened and many men went overseas to combat. He said, what was left in the church was many women and many children. So he said, oftentimes what would happen in churches is the way they would decorate things and do things would appeal to women but not appeal to men. And when these men came home from combat, they would walk into churches and they would feel like they don't belong. 
And there is a whole side of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the Lamb. He is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, but he is also the Lion. And when he needs to step into history, when he needs to rescue, when he needs to do things, Jesus will do what it takes to rescue a life. And also what we see in Jewish thought, a person's name revealed his essential nature and could also express rank or dignity. This is why names in the Bible are so important. God just doesn't flippantly give somebody a name to say, your name is Isaiah. That just sounds really good. No, it's because Isaiah's life, his ministry is tied to his name. And so names are very important. When you have kids and you're going to give your child a name, you don't want to say, I'm going to name my child Carpet because that sounds cool. When you look at my daughter, when, when my daughter Elizabeth came into the world, I diligently prayed, Lord, what do you want us to name her? And the first thing that God brought to my name, my mind was the name Elizabeth because Elizabeth means oath of God. And, the, and it, what the Lord showed me is that when I look at her every day, she is a testament to the faithfulness of God. That many times when we thought we would never have children, and I prayed over and over again, and the devil told me, your God doesn't listen and he doesn't care, and this is never going to happen. When I look at my daughter every day, it's a testament to the faithfulness of God. But her middle name is Avery, and their name Avery means counsel. And one of the things I prayed for my daughter long before she would step into the world is that she would be very prophetic. That she would speak prophetically, that she would lead prophetically, and that she would, she would just do things prophetically from God. That she, like Samuel, would know the, the voice of God at a very young age, and that she would walk closely with the Lord. So names in the Bible are very, very important. In the first verse we see is from Psalm 2, and it says, You are my son, today I have become your father. And here we see that God is speaking of the coming Messiah. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. He refers to him as a son. And the second verse in this collection that we first see is from 2 Samuel 7.14, and it says, I will be his father, and he will be my son. This was a messianic promise given to King David, that David would always have one who would be upon the throne, that the Messiah would come through the line of David. And that we see from the genealogies of Matthew and from Luke that Jesus was indeed a descendant of David. And Jesus, as the Son of God, has a superior name to the angels. So number one, we see that Jesus has a superior name. Number two, Jesus has superior honor. It says in verse 6, it says, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, this does not mean Jesus was created. He says, let all God's angels worship him. So the firstborn does not speak of Jesus being created. When the writer in scripture, and again, the writer of Hebrews is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Everything God puts in his word reveals the truth of who he is. This is why, again, for a Christian, not to study the Word of God, know the Word of God, you can't know God. And this is why in churches where pastors just give really nice story and self-help messages, people don't know God. Because the only way you can know God is by knowing His Word. The, the term firstborn speaks of a position of preeminence. Jesus is the begotten of the Father. He is the Son of God. And this verse that he uses comes from Deuteronomy 32, 43. Now, here's the thing. If you open up your Bibles under the Hebrew translation, you're not going to find these words in Deuteronomy 32, 43. And I'm going to tell you the reason why. Because in the original Hebrew, this is what it says. Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. This is speaking, this is Moses writing, but it's speaking about the coming Messiah. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. This is, again, if you think Jesus is some mild-mannered Savior, God speaks often in his word about vengeance. The Lord says, vengeance belongs to me. When, when Jesus returns... Read in Revelation 19, 11 through 16, it talks about him having fire in his eyes. 
When you read that, it's pretty terrifying to think, if I don't know Jesus and this is what he looks like, man, this is terrifying. But where these words are found that the writer of Hebrews gets them from, they're found in the Septuagint. If you're wondering, what is the Septuagint? It is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it was often read by the New Testament church. When they read the Old Testament, they would often read the Septuagint that was translated into Greek and used by the writers of the New Testament. When they would quote quote scripture, they would also use the Septuagint. And it shows that the angels are called to worship the Messiah. And you might say, well, Dave, that's not inspired by God. If it's in the Bible, it's inspired by the word of God. So if the writer of Hebrews says that, it's inspired by the word of God. For it was held by the Jews that Deuteronomy 32, 43 is speaking of the coming Messiah. It speaks of the one who will deal with the nations. It's only one person, that's Jesus. Who we know to be Jesus when he returns to the earth. If you ever wonder and you look at Justin Trudeau, you look at Putin, you look at the leader of China, and you wonder to yourself, God, when are you going to deal with all this nonsense? Well, let me tell you. When Jesus returns from heaven with the armies of heaven behind him, the angels, the church, the saints of old, and he steps his feet on the Mount of Olives and the thing splits in two, he just put everybody on notice. And then he's going to cast the Antichrist and the false prophet in the lake of fire. And then Jesus is going to deal with everything else. So One of the things to always understand about the justice of God is that it moves very slow because God is very merciful. God looks at Joe Biden. God looks at Kamala Harris. God looks at every leader in the United States. And God's desire is that they would come to the saving truth of Jesus Christ. Because God's not concerned with political parties. God's not concerned with political ideations. One of the things, again, we've allowed to come into our midst and separate us is his political allegiances. And to be honest with you, my only allegiance is to heaven. My citizenship is to heaven. If if you ask me, Dave, do you love America? I do. But I know the only hope for America is Jesus Christ. That's it. So if you're arguing with other Christians based on political stances, I would just encourage you, get focused on Jesus. It'll help unity. So Jesus is superior name, superior in honor, Now we're going to see superior in status. It says in verse 7, And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And throughout biblical history, the angels of God are used by God to accomplish his will. They are servants and have been created by the living God. Angels are extremely powerful. Think about this. When Hezekiah was king, and he was surrounded on every side, and he thought he was going to be killed, and he's crying out to God, all of a sudden the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah the prophet tells him that God is going to intervene. And on one night, one angel went through the enemy's camp and slaughtered 185,000 soldiers. One angel. And oftentimes when we look at the devil and we look at what the devil's doing, the greatest trick of the devil is to get us focused on him instead of God. Because trust me, if God wanted to at any moment, he could speak a single word and flip the script. But God has a purpose in everything. There's a reason why God in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts, my ways are higher than yours. God says, Be still and know that I'm God. God is not calling us to figure out what he's doing with America. God's not calling us to figure out what he's doing with Russia. God's not calling us to figure out what he's doing in the economy. God wants us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ because Jesus is in control. But here we see in the second section of Psalm 45.7, it says, it says, therefore God, your God, therefore God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. It always amazes me that the Pharisees couldn't see Jesus was the Messiah. But again, it simply shows us that the only way 
we can know truth is if the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. And God blinded their eyes for a period of time because Jesus had to go to the cross. If the Pharisees did not reject Jesus, if they did not if they did not charge him with blasphemy, then he would not have ended up before the Romans, and then the Romans then would then charge him to go to the cross. Because what God was showing us was that not only the Jews are responsible for the death of the Messiah, but also the Gentiles. So God has a purpose and a plan to everything, and again, the only way a person can come to salvation is God, if God allows them to. So today, if you're wondering if you're saved by the grace and mercy of God, you are only saved because God allows you to be saved. That's the only way. And it once again speaks of the Messiah This in this psalm. Jesus is known as the Christ, the anointed one. Jesus is the begotten son of God. It doesn't mean that Jesus was created, but he is the son of God. And before Christ came, these words were attributed to God. Before the Messiah showed up, the nation of Israel would read these words and just thought it just meant to God Almighty. They didn't understand the concept of the Trinity. But through the revealing of Christ, especially through his resurrection from the dead, it shows that these words are for him and that his throne will last forever and ever. And again, if you're in this place and you're terrified today, you're living in fear, just understand that there is nothing that can happen to us unless God allows it. And if God is going to allow something to happen to us, he's going to equip us for it. But that's why it's very important that we walk closely with him. Number four, Jesus is superior in existence. It says in verse 10, he also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. I always think to myself, how awesome is God that God in one moment could take his hands and roll up all of creation? It shows us how powerful God is. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. This is from Psalm 102, 25 through 27. When we look at Jesus, Jesus is the creator. He is God. Jesus laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of, of his hands. When we look at Colossians, it says that all things were created through the Son, that all things are held together by his word, by his mighty power. And one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. He will roll them up like a scroll. It speaks of his power and it speaks of his majesty. But the thing I love about Jesus is he is unchanging. He has no beginning and he has no end. The angels are created by him. They have a beginning. Though they have great power, to put Jesus on the same level with the angels is to reject the word of God and is to reject biblical truth and it is to reject salvation. This is an important thing for us to understand in this generation. People think, I can reject biblical truth and still be saved. You cannot be saved without repentance. And if you reject anything in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you reject its author. You reject the one who saves people. And if people want to argue, well, I don't like that. That sounds mean. Guess what? You're not God. There's only one God. And the problem in this generation and why they're being prepared for the rise of the Antichrist is because they truly believe they're gods in their own eyes. The same spirit that led people to build the Tower of Babel is the same spirit that is leading them to build a one-world empire because they are believing that they're going to demonstrate their greatness. And once again, God is going to deal with them once and for all. But the final thing, the fifth thing, is that Jesus is superior in calling. It says in verse 13, it says, To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And this which was put forth by the writer of Hebrews is from Psalm 110, verse 1. Now this is a very important passage of Scripture because this was the very verse that Jesus used to silence the religious leaders when they challenged him. And it speaks of the descendant of David 
who would be the Messiah. But this is very interesting about this verse because when the religious leaders heard this, they didn't know what to do with it. Because the whole of the verse, when you look at Psalm 110.1, it says, The Lord said to my Lord. Wait a minute. David's writing this. He's writing this about his future descendant who would be a Messiah, who would be a human being. But he calls him Lord. Wait a minute. What does this mean? And it says in the psalm, sit at my right hand, a position of authority that is equal with God, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. King David, as I said, is writing this. And he speaks about the coming Messiah, who again would have to be a human descendant. He refers to him as Lord, and it shows that the Messiah would be equal with God. And here's the thing. The only way the Messiah could be the Messiah is that he had to be fully man and he had to be fully God. And there is only one who fulfills that, and it's Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of this, because of what he has shown, Jesus is, is given a calling and a vocation that is far greater than any angel. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. He will rule the nations and they will be his inheritance. What I love about Jesus ruling the nations is guess who's going to rule the nations with Jesus? Us. And do we deserve to rule the nations with Jesus? No. But it's a picture of his mercy and his grace because this is what Jesus does with every person. Regardless of their sin, regardless of what they've done, regardless of their past, Jesus comes to them and says, listen, I love you. What I did on the cross is greater than your sin. And what I want to give you is brand new life. I just want to take your sin. And all I'm asking is that you make me Lord and Savior. Because if you will place your faith and trust in me, your sin will no longer remain. You will live eternally with me, and you will be a child of God. Because the amazing thing is when we walk with Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Royal blood flows through our veins. And don't let the devil ever convince you of anything less. One of the ways that the devil will rob people of their destiny and their purpose with God is getting them to believe a deception. If you're here today and you're in Christ, your past does not define you. What people have said about you doesn't define you. Even what you did yesterday doesn't define you. The only thing that defines you is what happened at Calvary because the righteousness, the perfection that belongs to Jesus covers you. And when your Father in heaven looks at you and you come to him because you've screwed up or you've fallen short and you're trembling before him, he simply extends his hand and he says, I love you. Stop sinning. Stop living in sin. Because again, I tell people, God is not a killjoy. God isn't telling people to stop sin because God's like, I know it's really fun to sleep around with everybody and anybody, but I just want you to stop because I want to take away all your fun. No, it's not. Because every, let's just take sexual sin. And again, there's, there's a gamut of sexual sin. Pornography, um, fornication, adultery, lusting after somebody, homosexuality, people having sex with animals. I mean, it's, it's, it's a large gamut. But anything outside of God's biblical design, which is within marriage between a man and a woman, is sin. And here's the problem. Because when we get involved in sexual sin, why it's so destructive, and this is one of the things, when Paul says your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, one of the main things he was talking about was sexual sin. Because when we take our bodies and we engage in sexual practices that are against God's word, we open ourselves up to a level of darkness that's far greater than we understand. So today, I, I want to just say this, because if you're here or listening online and you're engaged in sexual sin of any kind, understand I'm not condemning you. Understand I'm not saying your sin is worse than anybody else, but this is what I'm going to say. If you're involved in sexual sin, you need to stop because you're going to destroy your life. God has things that are far greater for you than sleeping around with whoever and whatever. And I want to say this 
to all the ladies in the room. If you desire a man who will love you and who will honor God, don't go sleeping around with men. Because I'll be the first one to tell you men are wicked. Men are inherently wicked. Men who don't know God, their hearts are wicked. And they will tell you whatever they need to tell you to get into bed. And don't waste your life chasing after men who simply look at you like an object to be conquered and then cast you to the side. If you're a woman here and you're not married and someday you desire to have a man that's going to honor you, because that's what God calls men to do. God calls men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. God doesn't call men to put their thumbs over their wives or rule over their wives or to talk down to their wives. Yes, he calls women to submit. He calls wives to submit to their husbands, but guess what? He doesn't tell husbands, make your wife submit. Because when a woman is in a marriage and that man loves her as Christ loves the church, it's one of the most beautiful things in the world. So my, my just a short thing for anybody who's here is involved in sexual sin. I don't, I don't care how many people you've slept with. I don't care how much pornography you looked at. I don't even care if yesterday you looked at pornography and you came in, your pla- in this place. You're sitting in your, the seats and you're like, I can't believe he's talking about this right now. I got to get out of here. Because I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're willing to come to Jesus and you're willing to give him your sin, he'll wash it away and it's as if you never sinned. Because Jesus is all about healing and restoration. What we are told is that the angels, on the other hand, have a calling. They do have a calling and a purpose of ministering spirits to those who will inherit salvation. They come alongside us as believers to help accomplish the will of God. And the greatest place angelic assistant comes is through prayer. And I want to read to you. As I come to the end of this, and at this time, the worship team can uh, begin to come up, find their place, and the altar workers can come up and find their place here at the altar. But I want to read to you an account of angelic assistance and what it looks like when people pray and when people actually take God's word seriously. It says, on a dark night about a hundred years ago, a Scottish missionary couple found themselves surrounded by cannibals intent on taking their lives. That terror-filled night, they fell to their knees and prayed that God would protect them. Intermittent with their prayers, the missionaries heard the cries of the savages and expected them to come through the door at any moment. But as the sun began to rise to their astonishment, they found that the natives were retreating into the forest. The couple's hearts soared to God. It was a day of rejoicing. The missionaries bravely continued their work A year later, the chieftain of the tribe was converted. As the missionaries spoke with him, he remembered the horror of that night. He asked the chieftain why he and his men had not killed them. The chief replied, who were all those men who were with you? The missionary answered, why? There were no men with us. There was just my wife and myself. The chieftain began to argue with him, saying there were hundreds of tall men in shining garments with drawn swords circling about your house so we could not attack you. This story recorded in Billy Graham's book, Angels, is one of the great tales of missionary history. The missionary was legendary John G. Patton of New Hybrids. Jesus is the only one who is worthy of worship. It is upon faith alone in him that salvation is possible. To reject the truth of Christ for comfort or to escape persecution is to abandon the very thing that will save us. And it's important for us, when Jesus says something, we take it very seriously. He doesn't say this off the cuff. This is from the mouth of Jesus alone. In Luke 9, 26, it says, Whoever, this means anyone, is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. There is a cost to follow Jesus. There is a cost to stand for Jesus. Someday, I personally may end up in prison. I certainly, someday I may go through suffering that is beyond anything I can imagine right now. But you know what? I pray that if that's God's will and that day comes, when that day comes, he will empower me. And I pray if I'm going to have to go through that, if they put me in a prison cell, that I preach, people think I preach loud now, you put me in a prison cell, man, I'll be screaming at the top of my lungs. 
And so I want everybody just to bow your heads, close your eyes. And, and as I read, angels are ministering spirits. I believe right now in this room there are angels that are moving and they're ministering in this room. They're doing as God commanded. And my, my first uh, question today is I just want to ask is if there is anyone here who does not know Jesus, you want to give your life to Christ. You want to live for him. Not just say, yeah, I accept Jesus. No, I'm saying you want to live for Jesus. You want to surrender your life to him. You want to be born again because Jesus says no one will enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. If that is you today, I want to ask you wherever you are to get out of your seat and come down here to the front if that's you. And I'm just going to wait a few moments.